Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of In No Hurry. I am your host, Colt Douglas Claiborne. So happy to be back with you guys for another episode. This week, I am honored to be joined by Kayla Steckline, a new up-and-coming author who really just has an incredible story to tell. Her first book, Fear Gone Wild, came out last fall, and it was one of the most impactful books that I read in all of 2020. And she's going to explain here at the beginning of our conversation really what her life has looked like these last two years or so. And so many of these emotions that she has dealt with are just things that I cannot even fathom. And her book was one of the most raw and vulnerable pieces of writing that I have read in quite some time. And I definitely recommend listening to it because she reads it in her voice. And I feel like it just adds so much to the story. And Kayla was one of those people that I knew once I listened to her story, I wanted to have her on to share what she's gone through. I so appreciate her coming on to share her story of grief and hope and just the way that she has been able to dream again and rely on God through her season of grief. So I'll let her kind of explain what exactly it is that she's been going through, and you can hear it in her own voice, in her own story. But thank you guys so much for joining. I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation with author Kayla Steckline. I'm so honored to be joined today by Kayla Steckline, an author and somebody that I think just has such an awesome, encouraging and hopeful story for all of us. Kayla, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Honored to be sitting down with you today. So for those people that maybe aren't too familiar with your story, um, if you could just maybe give sort of a capsule of kind of what the last couple years of your life has looked like. You, you put a book out that it came out in the fall called Fear Gone Wild. And I encourage anybody who's listening that hasn't read it to go and listen to it. And your story is outlined pretty in depth in the book. But what's, I guess, kind of a capsule view of what your life has looked like for the last couple of years? Oh, it's <laughs> a loaded question. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, yeah, my life looks completely different today than it did two and a half years ago. Um, two and a half years ago, I was living my dream life. I was married to my dream guy. We had met in college. We'd been married for almost eight years with three little boys together. Um, and he was leading the church. You know, he was a lead pastor of our church. His parents had started the church when he was three years old. He had grown up in it. And um, I was pastor's wife, full on pastor's wife. I was serving in the women's ministry, helping with the mom's ministry, like all in sold out to the local church. We loved the local church. It really was our heartbeat in our home and our life revolved around Sunday. And I loved it. I really loved um, my life as a pastor's wife. And then in the fall of 2017, my husband got sick and he started experiencing panic attacks and those panic attacks led to a massive panic attack in the hospital where we kind of all decided enough is enough. Like he had been through a lot. Our church had been through a lot. Our family had been through a lot. His dad had passed away just a few years prior. He never really stopped to grieve. And so we thought, you know, maybe he just needs to rest. Maybe he just needs a season of rest. And just a few weeks into that season of rest, he was diagnosed with depression. And I'll never forget sitting in that psychiatrist office with him when the psychiatrist looked at me and said, your husband has depression. And I was shocked. 
I mean, I really truly didn't see it coming. In my eyes, my husband was this strong, resilient man who really pushed through so much and led our church through so much and our family through so much and kind of rose to the occasion every time. So it really was a shock. And so we started this journey um, with depression that was in April of 2018. And it was this summer that was really difficult. It was very difficult to live with somebody that was battling with depression. You know, I never knew who I was going to get coming out of the bedroom in the morning. I didn't know if he would be happy or sad or angry or full of anxiety or super present and want to hang out with me and the kids. And I was also juggling being a mom of three young boys that were five, four, and two at the time. So our life was already fuller than full. And then we throw in a depression diagnosis and it just really changed everything. And so we were doing everything we knew to get him better. He was seeing a psychiatrist. He was taking medication. Um, he was taking time off work. We were seeing a therapist together for two hours every week. He went on solo trips by himself to spend time in solitude. We did a two week road trip, just the two of us. Like you name it, we did it. We were yeah. doing everything we knew to do to get him better. And we thought he was getting better. And so by the end of July of 2018, the doctors released him to go back to work. And on August 1st, 2018, he hit the ground running and he wanted to use what he had been through to help others. And so he was very transparent. He gave two powerful messages in a series he called Hot Mess. And he was going there. He was talking about things that pastors at the time really weren't talking about. They're talking about it a lot more. And I'm so grateful. But at yeah. the time, it really wasn't a conversation that churches were having, kind of a conversation churches stayed away from. But he was going straight straight for it head on. And he was talking about suicide, gave out the suicide hotline number, talked about depression, gave statistics from the NAMI website. Like he was passionate about it and people loved it. You know, he got a standing ovation the first weekend he was back. Wow. People were coming back to, to double dip and do another service. Like what he was sharing was so helpful because so many people struggle with mental illness. And so to see this pastor that's often put on a pedestal show his weakness and show that, you know, I struggle too. It was powerful. Yeah. And then headed into the third week, um, he just had a really bad day and his mind wasn't fully healed. He wasn't fully well. He had told our staff and told our family he was at about 65%. He wasn't at 100%. He wasn't fully well, but he was hoping to ease back into ministry, kind of ease back into his responsibility over time. Um, and so he had this really bad day. And we quickly realized, you know, okay, he's not as well as we thought he was. Like maybe he needs more time off work. Maybe he needs a longer sabbatical. Maybe he wasn't ready to go back. And so while we were away from him, um, kind of taking the next steps for him, calling inpatient places, trying to think of the next thing we could do to attend to his mental health, um, scheduling guest speaker for Sunday. While we were away from him for just a little bit, he attempted suicide. Wow. And it was absolutely earth shattering. I mean, really, truly something that we never saw coming, never in a million years could I have ever predicted that that would have happened to him. Um, was totally blindsided. And so he was rushed to the hospital. They ran a bunch of tests and, and there really was nothing they could do. And so God gave us the gift of one last day with him um, at the hospital and then he took his last breath. And with that, I was handed this brand new life that I'm now living um, as a widow and single mom of three very young boys. And my life was completely flipped upside down and tossed around. Um, 
yeah, and I'm just living in this life that I never imagined I would be living in. So that's kind of the capsule yeah. of what, you know, the last three years, I guess, three, three and a half years um, have been, and it's been a whirlwind. And you, and you so beautifully write about this in your, in your book that came out and just from a creative standpoint, obviously there's a lot that I want to unpack just with the emotions that you felt, but from a creative standpoint, how did you know, I know that you had, you had been blogging a little bit before and you kind of, you know, had, had built a voice up, but, but how did you know writing a book was the best way for you to process what you had gone through? So what's so interesting is that I had actually had this, um, God had planted the seed of writing um, years before Andrew passed away. You know, I used to get up at 4.30 in the morning and kind of have this quiet time as a mom. It was like the only time I could yeah. have quiet time was at 4.30 in the morning. So I'd get up and I'd sit at the kitchen counter and I'd have my devotional and I'd have a journal and I would sit and I would just journal page after page after page. And it was in those quiet hours of the morning that I really felt this desire to write. And I remember sharing that with my husband, like, I think I want to write a devotional. At the time, it was the thought of doing a devotional and a God's got this devotional. We already had this God's got this brand built um, that we had started when his dad was diagnosed with leukemia in 2011. Um, that phrase oh, yeah. kind of held our family and our church through so much. And so the original idea was this God's got this devotional and my husband's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's great. But like, probably not right now. <laughs> like our lives are already super full. That's amazing. I think you should do that one day, um, but probably not right now. And so, you know, I would just sat at that kitchen counter morning after morning and kind of wrestled with God. Like, okay, I feel like you're telling me this is what I'm going to do. Um, but I feel like the timing's not right. And so, you know, you open the doors and you let me know when the opportunity is there. And then, you know, fast forward a couple of years and Andrew passes away and all of a sudden the words just start rushing in. Um, writing kind of became this therapeutic process for me. Yeah. Um, I, I felt like I had to write. I felt like I couldn't not write. And so it started with blogging. Um, I was sharing different things I was learning in the grief journey. I was sharing different things I was learning about mental health and suicide and um, and, you know, a lot of people were leaned in. Our story kind of went viral um, because this young 30-year-old pastor with this beautiful family suddenly dies by suicide when he's talking about suicide. Like that is something yeah. that would go viral. And so, you know, people were leaning into the conversation and through that um, doors just started opening. People were reading the blog and I had publishing companies reaching out and agents reaching out and authors reaching out saying, hey, if I think you're a beautiful writer, if you'd ever want to write a book, I'd love to help. And so I felt like God was telling me the time is now. Yeah. Um, and a, not the God's got this devotional that I had originally you know, this pretty beautiful light thing that I thought I would write one day it turned into this book about suicide. I mean, who wants to write a book about mental health and depression and suicide as their very first book? Like, yeah. I don't think anyone raises their hand to sign up for that. Like that a is a tough not, topic to jump right into. <laughs> yeah, that is not anything I ever imagined writing about. Um, but, you know, I, I just felt so confident um, that it was the next right step for me in my healing journey. And um, I was encouraged by some other authors and writers that writing from, I know this, people have different opinions on this, but um, I was encouraged that writing from the messy middle place um, when you're in it is so much more powerful for the reader yep. um, rather than like waiting five years and then writing it. And I found that to be true for myself as well. Like I, those emotions were still so raw and fresh and real. And I would sit at my computer 
and I would type and I would weep. Um, it was just this living, breathing journal really is what the, the book is. Um, and, I, and I wanted it to be helpful. And, you know, that's out of my control. Um, I can't control whether it's helpful or not. But I hope that some things that I shared in there resonate with people and kind of change the narrative, um, especially in Christian culture about uh, depression and suicide. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. My wife is a mental health therapist. And so, you know, just since I've been with her and she's kind of been going through schooling and then starting her career, you know, that's, this is a conversation we have a lot just about the importance of mental health. And we've seen that in people in our own life about those who have not taken care of their mental health, the, the, not, not that your husband didn't, obviously he, he did, but for anybody listening who maybe there is still a stigma about it. And, and I think what you're saying is true that, it almost seems like the narrative has started to shift where people are so open to talking about it. I had an author on my show last year named Ben Corson, if you're familiar with him, mm -hmm. but he wrote a book about mental health and suicide and that sort of stuff. And it was really just enlightening to talk about, like, you know, a lot of us have struggles with our mental health and, and there's no, there's no, there shouldn't be any shame in talking about it. And, and your book, I think just so beautifully to shows like, you know, like, like you're saying, you're writing it from the messy middle part. Nobody comes reading a book like that, expecting you to have all the answers on what's happening. But I think it's beautiful to say like, this is me in the season that I'm in. These are my emotions. And there's got to be people that are reading that. I mean, me for one, like that resonate with that because we've lost people in our lives, we, you know, whether it's by suicide or just anything, we understand grief and those pain, those feelings of pain. And so just from that perspective, I mean, thank you for offering your words because and, and, and going with the calling that God put on your life to write that, because I think there are, there are plenty of people that maybe they feel a calling to do that. And they say, no, I'm, I'm not the right one. I'm, I don't have the words for that. Somebody else could write it better than me or whatever the case is, but, but your book was so beautiful. And, and one of the things you mentioned earlier, you know, you said, you know, two and a half years ago, this is who I was, uh, which kind of, I think alludes, you, you, you've talked about this before on other podcasts that I've heard you talk about this on. I mean, you feel like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you've talked about how maybe your the life that you had, the, the goals that you had, the, the envision that you had for your life before sort of died whenever he when you lost him, like, can you elaborate on that? And maybe those emotions that you felt and maybe the emotions that you're still processing as it relates to that? Yeah. You know, I think growing up, you have these expectations of what your life is going to look like. And, you know, for me, the white picket fence and the guy and the kids and the career and like that American dream. Yeah. And so as I'm, um, you know, in that hospital room with him and he takes his last breath and I walk out down the hallway by myself, all of those dreams are in that room with him. All of those dreams, all of those expectations, all of those um, aspirations of what I thought my life would look like and what I was working hard towards. You know, I was waking up every day so early spending time with God and like I was working hard towards that life that I um, wanted and that I had worked hard towards for so many years. And so to all of a sudden that dies and I'm handed this life that doesn't feel beautiful, um, doesn't feel hopeful. There's a lot of things that come with suicide um, that are complicated and um, the death of a suicide and grieving a suicide and especially for like the spouse of someone who's died by suicide, um, it's just complicated. And so it was grim there for a while and I wasn't sure, you know, how I was gonna be able to provide for my family. I wasn't sure 
where we would live or what we would do, you know, like Andrew was the breadwinner. Andrew was the sole provider. I describe it as going from the passenger seat to the driver's seat. You know, I was in the passenger seat. Andrew was driving the car. We had these three little boys in the back and he was full of vision and he knew where we were headed. And I was just along for the ride and I was the supportive wife. And all of a sudden he's gone and I'm forced to switch to the driver's seat and I have these three little boys in the back seat asking, where are we going, mom? And I'm looking out over their horizon and I'm like, I don't know, (laughs) you know, like that's really where it was at the beginning. And so it has been this journey um, of really like discovering my identity again, of discovering who I am. So much of my identity was wrapped up in who my husband was. Um, He had a big personality, a very intense personality. His job required a lot of him. And so he took up a lot of space. There wasn't a lot of space for me and my dreams and my ideas and my passions, um, you know, kind of revolved around the church and Andrew. And so once he was gone, I had to, I was forced to all of a sudden figure out, okay, who am I? Who am I when I'm not Andrew's wife? Who am I when I'm not the pastor's wife? Who am I now? this grieving widow, single mother of three young kids, who am I? And so it's been this journey of, of answering that question. And I'm still learning how to answer that question. And, you know, it's changed my life in so many ways. I mean, where I live um, is completely different than it would be if Andrew was alive. We recently uh, moved to the ocean and it's been such a healing um, space for us. And I'm so grateful. And so it's this, it's this weird, um, you know, thing that happens within my heart on a daily basis of like joy and gratitude and like pain and sorrow. And they just coexist in my heart every single day, because I do look around when I wake up in the morning and I am so grateful for this life that I am living. Um, and at the same time, there's just like this indescribable of like, I cannot believe that that horrible, terrible thing really happened. And so it's every day still living in the tension of that. Um, my, my son, I've shared this before. I might've shared it in the book, but I don't remember, but my son described this tension so beautifully. Um, the very first mother's day after my husband passed away, they had this super cute thing at his school called this mother's day makeover. And we had to like bring our makeup and our hair stuff. And the kids (laughs) were like going to do our hair and do our makeup. And they had these cute little, you know, things that they had filled out for mother's day. And one of them was like these fill in the blanks. Like my mom's favorite food is this. My mom, um, likes it when I help around the house and do this, like these fun little things that they had filled in the blank and one of the lines was I like it when my mom takes me to blank and blank and my son had put Disneyland and the cemetery and it's just such like a beautiful description of what our life is at the time we were going to to Disneyland now it's been closed for a while right but it's like this one foot and literally the happiest place on earth and this other foot and literally the saddest place on earth and it's moving forward um one step at a time in those two realities and so that's what the everyday life um looks like now and it's it's discovering it's rediscovering um what those dreams are and who I am now and what do I want to do with the time I have left I'm you know it's asking God the question why did I get more time Andrew didn't get more time why did I get more time and what do you want me to do with the time that I have left it's been so fun I don't know if fun is the right word it it just it's so cathartic maybe to, to watch you 
at least on social media, kind of walk through this journey because you share so much about your emotions that you're feeling that day. And it's always pictures of your beautiful kids. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a light into, it's a look into the life that you're going through each day. Obviously you don't post everything that you're going through, but it's, it's, it's a way for us to see like the process that you're going through. And I read your book in succession with Bob Goff's book, dream big. And I know that you guys have a pretty close relationship and, um, I think it was so awesome to read those books sort of in comparison to each other because, and I know that you've talked about this. I listened to your episode with him on his show and he asked you kind of about this, basically like, how did you learn to, and maybe this is still a process, but how did you learn to dream again? Because I've thought about this for myself, about how so much of my life and my goals that I have, they, they involve my wife too. Like I, it's hard to imagine pursuing some of those things if, if she wasn't around. And, and this for you is the reality that you've been dealing with. And um, he asked you about this and I'm kind of curious, just your, your, your answer here. How, how have you kind of figured out and learned how to dream again when it's Kayla and her kids now and Andrew isn't here with you? I mean, how have you kind of re repackaged, I guess, the dreams that you had or figured out different dreams that you've had? Just what does that look like, that process for you? Yeah, you know, Bob is um, such an incredible He's human. Awesome. The Bob He's that you read in the book is the same Bob that you sit with, um, yeah. you know, at the kitchen table. Like he is just an incredible person. I feel like he really gave me that permission. Um, I wouldn't have given myself that permission. I don't even think I was thinking about that, but we mm -hmm. were sitting in my backyard just a few weeks after Andrew had passed away, you know, he was one of the people that like gave me his phone number and just showed up and was there. And so we were sitting in my backyard when my sons was catching lizards and we were sitting and talking and he asked me, he's like, Kayla, what are your dreams? And it's such a beautiful question to ask somebody who is grieving. I think, I think it's a question we don't yeah. usually ask somebody who's grieving, but I would encourage the listeners, if you know someone who's grieving and are trying to walk alongside with them in their grief, like ask them that question because they're still alive and they still have dreams and they still have desires and they still get to dream. Like they're still here and they still get to dream. And so, you know, for me, one of those big dreams that I had um, right after Andrew passed away, I just felt drawn to the ocean. Um, and so, you know, that dream of, of being able to raise my kids by the sea has come to reality. Kind of COVID kind of yeah. pushed us towards that a little faster probably than we would have um, moved towards that. But it's been such a healing, huge healing shift um, for me. I felt like at my last home, um, it was, it was close to where Andrew and I um, had shared a life together. And so it was like everywhere I went, I was reminded of the life that I lost. Yeah. I couldn't even go to Trader Joe's without passing by the cemetery. I mean, it was just like a reminder everywhere that he's gone and I'm still here. And I would find myself oftentimes during 2020 um, at the cemetery because there was nowhere else to go. I'd have a babysitter and I'd be like, well, where am I? Everyone's quarantining. Everyone's like stay home order. Like, where am I going to go? Yeah. And so I'd find myself sitting at the cemetery in my car, just crying and walking around and like, this is horrible. You know, what am I going to do? It, in, in a lot of ways, it felt like I was living in a cemetery. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I felt this deep, deep desire to just get the heck out of there and have a fresh start further away where there's not memories, where there's not um, just this, these raw uh, memories attached to everywhere I go. And so we had the opportunity to 
to bounce out and get this place by the ocean. And it's been such a beautiful gift. And the book was a huge dream um, that came to reality in a completely different way than I would have ever imagined um, that coming to reality. And I think now I'm like, I'm by the ocean. I wrote the book. And I think the question that I'm asking is, okay, what now? Yeah. And I've wrestled with that. And I, you know, the biggest thing that I'm learning is that it's okay to change your mind and it's okay to try something. And if it's not working, it's okay yeah. to put it aside and try something else. Um, giving ourselves permission to try things and to hold it all loosely. I, I signed up for grad school. I started a clinical psychology program. Awesome. Um, and it was crazy. It was in August. And my boys were doing virtual learning and my book was launching in a couple of weeks. And it was like such a, a wild time. I don't even know how I even attempted to do that, <laughs> but I only lasted for like six to eight weeks. And like, I, this isn't the right fit for me. You know, I kind of knew right away. I wasn't able to compartmentalize myself from my trauma. And so I was sitting in class learning about mental health. And all I was thinking about was Andrew and this like horrible trauma that we walked through. And so I wasn't healed enough to do the program. And so I decided I emailed them and said, I can't do it. Like I, yeah. I tried it. I'm really glad I tried it. I'm really glad I got it out of my system, but like, it's just not the right fit for me right now. If not ever, I don't know. And so I said, no, you know, and then I was like, well, maybe, maybe I'll go back to school and I'll be a teacher, you know, like you are, I thought about teaching high school English. I'm like, that would be a great job to have. And I kind of like write as like a passion on the side, if I still want to write. Yep. And I applied to the grad school, same school, <laughs> applied to the grad <laughs> school for program for teaching, got in. And then I was like, I don't know if this is what I want to do. And so I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I emailed them and I'm like, you know what? Like, I am not a hundred percent confident. I just went through this with the other program. Like I need to wait until yeah. I'm like a hundred percent confident and in it to start. And so I said, yeah, thank you so much. But like, not right now. Yeah. So I think it's okay, you know, it's okay to give ourselves permission to try different things and to change our mind and not to feel like if we commit to something that we have to commit to that thing forever. I think that's yeah. the biggest thing I'm learning through all of this. Um, and that, you know, like for me, I, I love to write. And I think that's what's um, kind of this awakening in me too. And the biggest dream that I have is that I could continue writing. Um, I was away about a month ago, I was away um, speaking at a conference, actually a live conference. It was super special. It was a women's event up in um, Santa Barbara. And the next day happened to be our 10-year wedding anniversary. It would have been our 10-year wedding anniversary. And I found myself at the beach again up there. And I brought a journal and a pen and my phone. And my pen had died and my phone had died. And so I was just sitting there on the sand, like staring at the ocean. And I still felt like I needed to write. So I literally bent over and collected rock after rock after rock after rock and wrote wow. these words in the sands. And I wrote, love is what we leave behind. But I just felt this desire, like I need to write. And so I think it was that moment that really was like, you know what? I think I need to put a put, pump the brakes a little bit on um, thinking that school is the next right thing for me and maybe yeah. just pursue this um, creative life and kind of see what happens. So, yeah. It's yeah. great that you've had that discernment because I think so many people maybe just jump into something when they're feeling it in the moment. And I think that's one thing that I learned from Bob's book the most was just because you've done something like I, like I changed careers. I was a journalist before I became a teacher and I still do a lot of writing. I'm in the process of writing what I hope will become my first book as well, but I do a lot of writing on the side and, and she talks about, or Bob talks about, um, 
I was thinking of Elizabeth Gilbert's book, which we're going to get to next. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I was, Bob talks about how, you know, he was obviously an attorney at some point in his life. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just because he was doing that doesn't mean that that's who he's had to be the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And I think that notion of you're able to change, you're able to become a new creation, or in your case, even say, actually, that's not right for me at this time, I think is, is really freeing. But you're talking about how now you're kind of in this creative living space. And you posted recently that you've been reading Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. And I've talked about this recently on my podcast. I, I read it for the second time uh, toward the end of 2020. And to me, that that's like my creative Bible almost. I mean, I just, I love so much about that book. I could probably read it five times a year and learn something yeah. new every time. But in this headspace that you're in right now, what, what has that book been saying to you? And what are you kind of learning about Kayla, the creative person and the writer right now? Mm-hmm. I think the biggest takeaway I'm about, probably about halfway, maybe three quarters of the way through, I just started it um, this last weekend. And the biggest thing um, is the heartbeat behind the writing. And that I think for a minute there with the last book and even headed towards this idea that I have for another book that will hopefully pan out. um, I kind of had this desire, like, I just want to help people. Mm -hmm. And in her book, she talks about how like we that's not in our control. You know, right. we, we just get to create just to create. And the mystery is um, seeing what's going to happen once it's released. And yeah. so I think it kind of gave me permission to be like, you know what? Like, I don't have to try to save everybody. Like, I don't have to try to write this book that's going to be like super helpful for everybody. I can just share um, what I'm learning in the process. I can just share what I'm learning right now. And I can hope that Um, maybe that something that I say resonates with somebody. And I think that is so freeing for me, that permission to just create because I like to create (laughs) is like so freeing um, and so powerful. So, so far that's been the biggest takeaway for me is like creating just for the sake of creating and being stoked if it is a success and being stoked if it's not a success. And I, the, the purpose isn't for it to be a success. The purpose is just because I love to create. Yeah. It's so cool. Cause the, the things that you've been posting, like, I know we're kind of meeting for the first time on this, on this call here, but I feel like we've kind of been living in a very similar headspace because that was the biggest takeaway I got from the book when I read it the most recently, because throughout all of 2020, I've, I wrote about this quite a bit. I struggled really bad with identity and like, even like with this podcast and things that I would write, it was like, why is this not being more received by people. And it was taking a lot. I wrote something about how the joy of what I was creating was kind of being sucked out of what I was doing because I was focusing on such external things. And that book was kind of like you, you, like you're saying, you cannot control what people do or how they receive it. You just have to be there and show up. And, uh, do you, do you read much of Hannah Brincher's work as well? I just got her book and okay. um, she sent me her book and I haven't opened it yet. That's the okay. next thing I want to read. Okay. Yeah. She's wonderful. I've connected a little bit with her over social media, but totally yeah. admire her and think she's so great. She, she is also one of my favorite authors and her book come matter here, the, her, her one that she wrote before this most recent one. Uh, I, I would also recommend that you read that as well. Cause I, it's for me as a creative person, I'm an Enneagram four wing three. So is she, so we kind of like, I, I really resonate with what her words are. And just that idea of like, creating and showing up just to create and being there and the joy of like, the joy of creating like I think Elizabeth Gilbert right wrote in her book how she didn't become a full-time writer until like her third book and for me I didn't teach this past school year my wife and I moved to a new town and in my mind I was gonna kind of put myself uh 
you know, push toward the book that I'm writing and this podcast and all of my creative endeavors. And it just created like a lot of these identity issues for me. And now that I'm teaching, um, your dogs want to say hello. Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. My, my cats are, my cats are freaking out too. So she comes and sits with me. I think she'll be better. She does. She despises the mailman. So <laughs> the mailman comes to our door and he slips the mail under our door. She freaks out. That's hilarious. <laughs> but I, I felt that like now that I'm back teaching, my identity isn't wrapped up so much in my creative endeavors. And it's such, it's just like a relieving thing where I'm just like, I do that. Cause I, I just really enjoy it. Like I just enjoy having conversations like this. It's like, I forget how many downloads the episode gets, how many people read my website. I just really enjoyed doing it. And I think I as a creative person, it's such a freeing thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I did want to ask you about this too, because I'm such a big Chris Renzema fan. We were talking before we recorded, you posted some Chris Renzema lyrics. Was that the first time that you had heard any of his music? Whenever you, you said it came up on a playlist, that song, it was the, you're not finished yet. How do you, how do you listen to him before that came up? I have. Yeah. Okay. I've kind of been, been listening to him through 2020. It was kind yep, of like my same. quarantine soundtrack. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. Good. His lyrics, I, I feel like just from a creative, like lyrical songwriting standpoint, his, his lyrics have just resonated so well with me, especially just with the season that we went through as people. And then even like right now we're in the middle of the winter and all, a lot of his songs are about like how mm -hmm. Jesus will make things new with the winter or with, with the spring coming and just such beautiful lyrics. And I guess, as you kind of listened to that, how has that resonated with you? Because I feel like as Kayla, like as a person that the story that you've shared, I feel like those lyrics kind of fit perfectly with like, God is going to make all things new, even out of the mess that we have gone through in our lives. What, what does that look like for you? Whenever you've heard words like that, like in his songs. Mm -hmm. I think it's a release, you know, I think it's similar to what we were talking about with Elizabeth Gilbert's book of just like this freedom and this release of like, it's not in my control, you know, none of it. Um, what happened to me a few years ago, what happened to our family a few years ago, the life that I'm living today, like we have such little control over our circumstances um, and kind of releasing those expectations that we have for our life and the expectations that we have um, for our future and, and kind of, um, I think just, it's super centering. I think it's really centering of like, you know what, what I have is today. What I have is what's in my hands today. And I can only do what I can do today. Um, and I love how he talks about, um, he says, let the ground rest in one yep. of his songs. Um, and, you know, I think I'm, I'm a three on the Enneagram. And so if I'm not achieving something, I think that I'm like a complete failure. Yeah. Um, but being okay um, in this season after the books come out and now I've moved into this home and kind of being okay if, with taking my time to get to the next thing and being okay yeah. with letting the ground rest yeah. for a little bit um, and kind of sitting in that season of like, you know what? Like, it's not that I'm not... Um, achieving anything it's that I am writing the next book by how I live my daily life and how yeah. I raise my boys every day and what I do with my moments and my time so that's a perfect segue into the final question that I always love to ask my guests so the, the name of my show is in no hurry and I think what you're describing there is sort of a season of not allowing yourself to be in a hurry and so I always love to ask my guests like what do you do like whenever your life does get busy or I guess even like right now for you, um, you know, what, what do you do? What do you do to slow down when your life is busy, but also like right now, um, how freeing has this season been where you're accepting the ground needs to rest for my life right now? Mm -hmm. 
I love if I can get to the ocean, if I can get to the water, um, that is like my happy place. And so recently, um, just since the boys went back to school a couple of weeks ago, I've been running, I've been going, making sure that I get like three runs in a week is my goal. And I can, it's just a half mile from my house to get down to this trail that follows alongside the ocean. And so that's been my place of like, and, and allowing myself to take my time when I do it. If I want to stop and like sit on the sand and just stare at the ocean for a while, if I want to stop and write. Um, the other day I was running and I was listening to a song called Starting Over by Chris Stapleton. And I, I kept stopping to like jot things down on my phone. And like giving myself the freedom and permission to take my time and to have those moments and to sit and soak it in um, and and just enjoy life. I think yeah. sometimes we're going so fast uh, that we don't get to actually open our eyes um, and enjoy what's happening right around us. Sorry, my dog is being <laughs> so annoying right now. He, he agrees. <laughs> that was a big amen from him. He just agrees with what you're saying. <laughs> If people want to connect with you and follow along kind of with your journey, because I know you post quite a bit on, on Instagram specifically, what's the best way for people to connect with you? And then also, uh, they, if they want to buy their book where, or buy, buy your book, where can they go to find it? Yeah, the best place is Instagram. Like you said, it's kind of where I hang out. Um, my Instagram handle is Kayla Steck. Um, I have a website, kaylastuckline.com, that has a button where they can click to order the book on Amazon um, as well. But it's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, all those places. Well Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, li I listened to your book and you, and you do the reading of it. And for me, when I read books like that, especially with the content like that, I love hearing the author read it and hearing the story in the author's voice. So I recommend actually my preferred way to read is to read the book while I'm listening to it. So mm -hmm. I, I, anybody that has a chance, I would recommend that they listened, that they listen to you read it because they hear it in your voice and they hear the story coming from you. And that's, I think for a story like that, it just makes it so much more meaningful to hear it from the actual author. So I'm, I'm always irritated when an audible or when an audio book comes out and it's somebody random that reads it and not the author, because it just feels like it's such a disservice to the author who wrote it yeah. and it's their story, but sometimes they can't <laughs> control that. So it's not their fault, but it just is a bummer, but yours is read by you. And I highly recommend that, but Kayla, thank you so much for coming on here and, and sharing your story and, and sharing such hope amidst what obviously has been, was, and has been a, a dark uh, and tough period of your life. But I think, knowing that you know you you found the hope in god to be able to dream and sort of pick up the pieces and allow god to use uh what what he's doing with your life i think it's such a, a beautiful message so thank you for coming on and sharing all that with us thanks so much for having me thank you i am so grateful for people like kayla who are just willing to be open and vulnerable about some of the darkest seasons of their life because I feel like so many of us can resonate and relate to that even if we've not gone through that exact experience just hearing somebody offer hope amid such a dark season is such an encouragement to all of us I cannot recommend her book Fear Gone Wild enough it truly was one of my favorites that I read and just such an impactful story and you heard her share the heart behind it and the experiences behind it so make sure you go to wherever you purchase books and check that out again if you have audible i highly recommend that you download that and listen to her read the book in her own voice and hear this story coming directly from her 
if you or anyone in your life is dealing with suicidal thoughts or depression or anything related to mental health, please reach out to someone, a specialist, a therapist, somebody that can offer some help. There's just too much that God wants to do with your life here on earth. And there are just so many ways to get help. So please, if you are looking for help, please reach out to somebody, reach out to a therapist, a pastor, somebody close to you. If someone in your life is dealing with suicidal thoughts, make sure that you're checking up on them and referring them to somebody who you trust that can help them get through that season. I also want to encourage you all to connect with Kayla on social media. Give her a follow. Let her know that you enjoyed listening to her on the episode this week. If you need to connect with me at all, you know where to find me. I'm Cole Claiborne on Instagram and Twitter and Cole Douglas Claiborne on Facebook. Would love to connect with you there and also on my newsletter. You can go to coleclayborn.com and find the tab for my newsletter and sign up there. And all of my other social media links and contact info can be found there. I would love to connect with you. But thank you so much for joining me this week for this conversation with Kayla. Hope you all have a great week. Hope you find some time to relax and not be in a hurry. And we will see you next week.